What's up, everybody? We are back. Welcome to the final Rio Chronicles of 2022. I am your host, David. I am joined with today, Mr. Jack Renault. Hello. Thank you once again for having me. And I've got to say, out of all the Christmas movies we could have done for the last Chop, chop Talk, chop talk. <laughs> Real Chronicles of the year, <laughs> I'm really glad we're getting to do this one. Well, I mean, to some, It's a Wonderful Life could be a horror movie. So you're you're not yeah you're not wrong there, and uh, making his first appearance, first guest spot after um, the the numbers for the podcast came this year, and the number two country listener wise was Latvia. I figured I needed to bring the Latvian sensation, Mister Luke, to the podcast. How are you doing, good sir? I'm doing good. I won't ask you to try and pronounce the full name. Uh, that's what we Not gonna do that. So, Luke I, is enough. Yeah, I'm <laughs> absolutely happy to be here. No better movie to make my debut with. Yeah, this get ready to get in. Yeah, this should be a good fun episode. We're covering the best to some, my number two favorite Christmas movie of all time. It's a Wonderful Life. I there's a lot to break down here, so this should be a very very fun insightful episode. Before we get into the movie, let's get into some of the news of the week. Uh, only three things I want to cover. I know that the whole DC thing is a big talking point, but I know Jack is not really into the comic book genre, and Luke is past, right? You're pretty much, I, give I, or take. I don't really care. Just, just where's Batman 2? Yep, that, I'm with you there. Yeah, so, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, give, I'll, I'll take that. Yep, <laughs> I'll take that too. Uh, but we, what we do want to talk about is that Mike Flanagan has been set to showrun The Dark Tower for Amazon. Um, it's funny, Luke and I, and uh, Jack has been reading We've kind of talked about this on our on our group chat for the last like a couple of weeks ago, actually. And the fact that this is happening, I couldn't be happier. Flanagan has already worked on Doctor Sleep and Gerald's Game for Stephen King adaptations, and I couldn't find anyone better. I couldn't think of anyone better to run the Dark Tower. The plan as of now, um, what Flanagan wants to do is five seasons and two movies, and the fact that the Dark Tower is is it. Eight books, Luke, or five books? I think, I think it was seven books, and then he wrote like another one a few years later, which is like in the middle of the series. So eight books, eight books total. Uh, Luke will be reading but all of them. But that doesn't count all the ones that tie in. So it's it's really more like twenty plus. Which is so I have to read before the first episode drops. And it's funny because which makes anyone that hated, including myself, the. T- uh, 2017 2018 dark tower movie very very happy that we're getting this because that dark tower movie is awful uh but yeah luke what are your thoughts i know you're excited as as i am yeah so stephen king is my favorite author i've read like five books from him so far uh and this is like his magnum opus his big fantasy series uh reading about uh, what flanagan actually he actually went to Stephen King and he like pitched the idea. He has the first ep- the pilot scripted, the first season very outlined, and the rest of the thing roughly outlined. And then Stephen King, I guess he liked it so much, he gave him the rights. So And Flanagan has been hinting at this a while. Mm-hmm. So now it's just nice to have a solid confirmation. 
Yeah, for sure. Jack, outside, I know you're not too familiar with the Dark Tower, but Stephen King adaptations, that's up your alley, right? Oh, yeah. Generally speaking, most of them hit rather than not. So I can't say that I'm like not not looking forward to this. So uh, I am I'm going to be checking it out at some point. Not sure to when I'll be able to read the books. But if the buzz is really, really positive, especially from you guys, because I trust your guys's taste and all that, then I'll probably check it out at some point. Awesome. I mean, I hope I mean that it hits our expectations but i trust i know luke is not big on the lord of the Rings show i haven't seen all of it yet but what i do know is that the budget is there for that show so i'm hoping that the budget will be there for flanagan and company as the show uh gets going uh second bit of news i guess it's just a first picture of joker 2 did you guys check that out yesterday i, I saw it yeah. yeah yeah i mean just wanted to point that don't out there know what much, yeah. don't, don't know what to make what to make of it guy likes to shave Guy likes to get a good shave. Good to know. Uh, I, I do want to credit Joaquin. I feel like we just heard about this movie in, October, in like August, and the man looks like he already like he lost that weight super duper quick. I didn't expect him to be that thin. I thought they would just you know beef him up a little bit while he's in jail, but I, or in, incarcerated somewhere. But I guess mm-hmm. not. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm more curious to see Har- uh, Gaga's Harley Quinn. More than mm-hmm. Joaquin's Joker. So, do they confirm that's who they, that's who she's playing, or or is that just assumed? It's that's pretty who? much like confirmed but not confirmed. But okay. we got confirmed but not confirmed about Babylon, and as I've seen it four times already, none of those characters that were we thought were going to be, you know, ended up being that. Like the whole Tobey Maguire being Charlie Chaplin thing. So I think we'll, okay. we'll see what we see. Uh, and then I guess Luke's favorite time of the year, the Oscar season, is here. Uh, I know Jack, <laughs> you get, you don't care about this, right, Jack? Yeah, no. Like I, I watched it back in 2012. I've watched it every year since, and I just do not care. Yeah, exactly. Um, some bits of news. Um, let's start with MBR, which this will make Luke happy. That's why I want to start with this. Top Gun wins Best Picture for MBR, which is pretty. I don't want to say shocking because that was one of my three picks for MBR, but still mm-hmm. surprising in a way that they went there with all the other options. Uh, Jack, I'll run through the top 10 and then we can get your thoughts on it. So their top 10 films in alphabetical order are After Sun, which I love, Avatar, which I'll talk about it in a little, in a little bit, um, mm-hmm. The Banshees of Inishirin, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Glass Onion, RRR, Till... Mm. The Women King and Women Talking. Jack, take it off. Did you say the Did you say the Fablemans? I did. Yes. You did say okay. Yeah, right so, after everything, ever all at once. So Babylon was not there. Okay. Babylon that's missed. That's interesting. Yeah, I was it just released too late? Do you think, or had it been hitting stuff beforehand? <sighs> See, so that's, movie... kind of one of the, that's one of the tough things about this time of year that you never know. Or about those late, like those latecomers. I mean, I don't think the latecomer thing because they saw Avatar. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So yeah. maybe it didn't hit with them, but there have been many. Like, there's not a hundred percent correlation here, so it's not like yeah, yeah all yeah. these ten. I think my guess is looking at these ten is we get six from this ten in Best Picture. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same yeah, when I... we get to AFI in a second. Sure. But what are your thoughts then, on Top Gun? And then Top Top Gun, I mean that 
like you said, it's surprising. I like we've had like blockbusters win like best picture in the past, but I don't think any of them are summer blockbusters that managed to like hold like attraction and the love of the industry for six months on end. So if it wins best picture, like uh, I've already mentioned, like it's not my absolute favorite of the year, but I'm not going to be like upset about it. I think it'll be pretty cool. I think so. I don't. Was the last blockbuster to win Best Picture, Lord of the Rings? And do we even call that a block? I mean, I think it is a blockbuster. Yeah, but... that, that's a blockbuster. Titanic's a blockbuster. But then, like before, then like, I mean, even when you'd have stuff like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest be like the second highest grosser of its year, like I won't call that a blockbuster. Yeah, I concur. Uh, yeah, Luke, will this make you watch the Oscars? Top Gun potentially winning Best Picture. <laughs> Like the thing is, the Oscars start for me at 3 a.m. and they end at 6 a.m. That's great. And they're on a, then they're they're on a Sunday, so I have to go to a lecture in the morning, most likely. If there's no lecture on the Monday, I might watch it. But the thing is, it's so long, and mm-hmm. there's so many ads. Like a few years ago, uh, our our cinema actually showed the Oscars. They showed oh, wow. first of all, first of all, they showed boring ass movies before that. Of when you're the year that Green Book won, they showed Greta. I don't know if you've seen. Oh, that. I, I have seen Greta. That's it's not good. Awful. Yeah. And one of my first half-star movies that I gave. Uh, then the next year they showed Queen and Slim. I don't. Sorry, it's not I don't like Queen and Slim either. Uh, and then, and I don't know if they kept going with that, but uh, it was just very long. But I, we said yes yesterday. If Top Gun wins Best Picture, I will watch every Best Picture winner next year. That I, is true. That is in true. Order and or it's, whatever we'll see. Now we have it on record in the group chat and on a podcast. So Luke, yeah. I it's can't wait for Luke to watch Tom Jones. <laughs> just wait. Just wait until Cavalcade, my oh, friend. My, at least he gets Cavalcade out of the way early. He has to wait till that, sixty something to get to, to Tom Jones. Well, he did. Well, he didn't say in. I don't think he said in order. Yeah. So he let's, can let's oh, make it true. in order. You know why not? Okay. Make yeah. it make it even higher stakes. Yeah, make it wh- a history lesson. Wings at will it. at least you you have one silent film, and that's just the first one. Well, two, two, yeah. I, I don't mind the silent. The film artist. If you, oh yes, if you the artist. That, yeah, but, we do yeah. count the artist. You're right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see what happens here. Then we had AFI, who doesn't really, they don't do a best picture per se. They just list their top 10 of the year. Uh, so mm-hmm. with AFI, we had Avatar The Way of Water. Next up, we have the movie that uh, Jack and I will pat ourselves on the shoulder about all season long, Elvis. Uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablements. Nope, which shout out to Hunter, who he called as like the outlier of the group. She said Tar, Top Gun, The Woman King, and Woman Talking. And a special AFI award they give to international films is The Banshees of Inisherin, which usually happens with, like, the international the, the high, the, the one that's, like, not available that's probably closest in the best picture Correct. Rankings. Like, last year was, was Belfast. The year before that was Par- – uh, two years before that was Parasite. I think the year before – I think 2020 during the COVID, it was uh, Minari, I think. But, mm-hmm. uh, okay. but yeah, I mean – the big surprise here, I guess, is Babylon not being here. But outside of that, I think the Woman King may be the one that makes it to both and doesn't hit Best Picture. I've seen it. I just don't think. I I, I don't I don't I don't know. Maybe there's the pathway. I don't see that getting in. To be honest with you, Jack. Thoughts. The, the thing about it is like it, it could get in, but I it would have to hit like a certain amount of like text too. Like I think it could get into costumes. I think it could maybe get into like a production design or something along those lines. But 
it would be getting into Best Picture with like only a couple other nominations, I think, because there's like the tech categories this year are so stacked. Cause yeah. There's so many. There's so many Best Picture contenders that are really deserving nominees and winners for these categories. So where stuff gets left out is what's I think really going to be a big thing. So I'm not going to discount the woman King yet. I think it may have a, it probably I'd say is around the same shot of getting it as maybe like glass onion, I think for kind of the same reason, they're not going to get a lot of nominations overall, but yeah, I, I can't say for sure. Those bottom two spots this year are going to be really interesting. Yeah, even though, uh, and I will say, even though Babylon missed both, I still feel good about it in Best Picture. Um, yeah. Once, once the more Academy members once see Once the it, industry, yeah. Yeah, I feel still good about it. It's not going to win anymore. I don't, there's no way a movie like that one, when you guys see it, you'll see what I mean. There's no way a movie like that wins Best Picture, but I, I'll just be happy to see it there. Um. And then before we move on to what we watch for the week, we have Golden Globe nominations tomorrow. Um, they're back, so we have to talk about them. Uh, hmm. I guess, Jack, do you want to do picture drama? The top the top couple of categories to see where we're standing. So for me, we can start with drama. So for me, I have The Fablemans, Top Gun, Elvis, Tar and Avatar in my five. I don't have women talking. That's kind of the outlier in drama. Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of those six. I think from there, it's probably kind of done. Yeah. Uh, Avatar, yeah. That, that's one that I think will... Uh, that That's one that I think it would probably get into director, score, but yeah. it would probably just hit those three. Because it's not going to get any acting, I don't think. No, it uh, it's not. In terms of what could win, though... Uh... I, I'm going to say it. I think drama at the Globes is going to Elvis or Top Gun. Those are my picks. I think you're right. I, I don't I don't think the, the Fablemans is necessarily a Globes movie, because I think that's maybe more the catering Academy. towards people who work in the industry rather than just journalists, you know? Yeah. So... Maybe it doesn't resonate with them as much as it would with the Academy members. So I do think Elvis or Top Gun, that could definitely happen. I do think you're right with your well, our shared Elvis prediction in another category that we yes, might yes, touch on. Yes, but we are. In terms of nominations, I think it's those six. And this may have Luke look up reactions to the glows when Top Gun gets nominated. Uh, I'm just pulling up Hunter's post of the... <laughs> oh, what does he have? Does he have the same as we do? I think maybe he has women talking instead of Avatar, right? Uh, in drama, yes. Okay, great. Yes. Yeah, so we're pretty mm-hmm. much all on the same boat. Like, I think that's the six. Um, co- musical comedy, uh, I have Babylon, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Banshees of Inisherin, Glass Onion, and hear me out, Jack. Weird. Huh. Okay. Because they always do something just out there. They always do something weird, yeah. yeah. The uh, the other one that I would honestly... The one that I would throw into the weird category. Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Oh, that's, that's a good one. one. Yep, that's a good that, one. That, that's one that I'm just going to kind of... I, I think the first four you listed are most likely in. I think Knives Out was able to get into comedy. Yeah, I believe so it was, year, yeah. Right? Yeah, okay. And I, it has a decent shot of getting into screenplay, but since there's only one category, maybe not. Um, 
But the comedy musical uh, genre is always really weird this time. It's stacked this time of year, but like the the acting categories, I think, are a bit more decided now than it is. Not that, th- that it is like that, especially in the case of comedy actor. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah. Um, director. I mean, I James Cameron, Spielberg, the Daniels, Sarah Paul. Nah, I, but but if I don't have it in picture, I can't put it there. So I'm not gonna put Sarah Polly in. I put Martin McDonough and Damien Chazelle with a Sarah Polly as my number six. I think Sarah Polly. Again, it, it's it's the whole like women talking and like Sarah Polly is like the one al- alternate where it could be like those five and one person gets kicked out. Uh, I do think that's the six uh, in some order. Damien Chazelle, I'm I'm worried. Even though this, I, I, I think I he like direct. I, Go ahead, sorry. I feel like if he, I feel like if he were to get in, his movie should get in since there's theoretically like more chances for it to get in since there's five directing spots and. 10 movie slots available so yeah. i mean i think chazelle this is his most ambitious and well-directed film i mean i think he's a i think he directs the shit out of every movie he does but i think when you yeah. see babylon you see the scope of this um so i do think he deserves to get in and then to finish off we can do the acting category supporting actress um jesse buckley claire foy i think this is a little easier carrie condon hung chow and jamie lee curtis that's kind of where i'm at there yeah, I I'm really glad you're jumping off the Jamie Lee Curtis cliff with me. I, I think actually, it's happening. I think it's gonna happen. I, I, I if I remember correctly, I put her above uh, Stephanie Sue in uh, my rankings because I think that in terms of like career achievement, like nominations, which this year honestly has a lot of potential um, cases for that to happen. I think Jamie Lee Curtis is a really interesting one, especially I, with the. Uh, go ahead. Can I jump on another? Uh, I don't know if you're going to jump off this bridge with me, Jack. Looking at the nominees, there is a world she wins as a career Oscar. Oh, the Oscar? Jamie Lee. I mean, I think Mm. she's getting into supporting actors at the Globe, but I do think there's a world where Jamie Lee wins the Oscar as kind of like. That that is possible. It's not. It's a weak supporting actress field. I like I've seen every single film. I I think it's Michelle. Michelle Williams leaving that category really yeah. made it like just open up. So she could win. The um, the only other thing that I can see is maybe one of the women talking girls miss and uh, Carrie Mulligan gets in for she said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another that's another potential case. But I don't know. Tomorrow's going to be really interesting. The Globe nominations are always one. Yeah, of the they're always of one the, of the weirdest. Of the bunches. And a supporting actor, Kehi Kwan, Brandon Gleason, Ben Wishaw, Paul Dato, and I don't even know where to go for five. I have no idea. Those first four, yeah, I I, I trust you on. Who know? Who know? No doubts. What do you say? For the Batman, no doubt. Oh, I I, mean, <laughs> I wouldn't. I I I mean, I like him in the Fablemans, but I think he's much better in in, in the Batman. Tbh. Uh, and then Best Actress Musical Comedy, Margot Robbie, Michelle Yeoh, Anya Taylor-Joy for The Menu. Yeah, The Menu, that's one that we didn't really think about yeah. when it came to picture. That's another one that, that could, could hit mus- That there. could hit musical if, comedy. If they're recognizing the name Mark Myloid, they could just go with the Succession Love and throw it in there too. But So I, I went with this, and now that you've mentioned this film, I feel better about it. Leslie Manville and Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. I yeah. like that as a 
as a potential globe nom. Oh, that 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 has globes written all over. And it, I like I the think. movie. I think the movie's. I think I like the movie quite a bit, actually. It's a big mm-hmm. costumes player. I think it's going to get nominated for costumes oh, at yeah. the Oscars. Uh, and I don't know if for five, maybe Emma Thompson. I can't really think of anyone else. Uh, and then actor, musical comedy. I think this feels good. Colin Farrell, Daniel Craig, Diego Calva. Um, oh my God, Daniel Radcliffe. And I don't know. We could throw Billy Eichner Ray in there. Ray, Ray, Ray Fiennes. Fiennes in the venue. That's yeah. a possibility. So, uh, can I, can I mention Hunter's picks that you did? Oh, yeah, yeah. Go for it. These, these are interesting. So shout out the Cinema Dispatch. Yeah, shout out Instagram. to Cinema Dispatch and Hunter. Along with uh, Farrell, Craig, and Calva, he has Billy Eichner. Okay. And Tom Hanks for A Man uh, Called yeah. Otto. I haven't seen it, but I heard that there's buzz there. Keyboard, so that's, yeah. that's a good pick for Hunter. Uh, shout out to Hunter. For his pick there, so yeah, tomorrow right the nominee the nominations will be there in the morning. So I will definitely be posting them on our socials, and then we could see what happens there. Alrighty then, let's get to some of what we watched before we move on to It's a Wonderful Life. This is so for all the listeners out there. We play poker on the regular, and uh, the loser has to watch the first loser, first person eliminated, has to watch a movie of the winner's choosing a couple of weeks ago i won and uh we had two losers and our the two losers happened to be here today um and i gave them quite the film to watch and because uh jack and luke are a lot younger than me there i knew there was no chance in hell they would have seen this movie already so gentlemen i'm gonna let you guys just cook on 1997's mortal Kombat annihilation Jack, take it away, buddy. Well, I was hoping this wasn't going to be the first movie I talked about, but I guess it'll make the ones <laughs> I bring up later look even better. But Hey, if you want to go through those first, that's fine. <laughs> uh, I'll save them. So, I mean, Mortal Kombat Annihilation. <laughs> I, I just... Man. <laughs> as, a, as a gamer and a movie fan, it's not often that we have, you know good movies that combine both of those things uh the best of which is like maybe still like an only a seven out of ten in the form of like the sonic movie and like detective pikachu and maybe the new mario movie that's coming out soon because that actually be. looks pretty the, the, that clip they released looks pretty good but at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to video game movies it's a deep bottom because there's a lot of crap down there and somehow this is Maybe the worst that I've seen. It is just atrocious from a visual standpoint. <laughs> like, I can understand somebody wanting to make, like, VFX, like, in a way that, like, is almost comical and, like, you know, like, not realistic. Because I don't think every single, like, VFX should, like, try to look realistic and, like, it would actually exist. But even still, like, it just looks so, like, boring and ugly. Like, it's just unable to... I was just unable to, like, even enjoy it. And I'm a big, bad VFX apologist. Like, I, I will defend a lot of movies, but not here, Luke. Yeah, so I haven't hadn't seen the first one. So when the opening scene happened, I was everything was so out of context. I think that made the, the first 20 minutes, at least, very enjoyable. After that, it kind of fell downhill. Uh, of course, it has the famed line, too bad you will die 
which I've seen on YouTube <laughs> many times. So now, now I finally know where that's from. Uh, it was, it's like a fever dream, the first 10 minutes, and then the Scorpion and the Sub-Zero fight. I actually really enjoyed that for, for what it was. It was very goofy, but it worked. But then, did yeah. You like his ex- did you like Scorpion's exit? Sucker! Uh, Sucker! Yeah, so great. I, I don't remember it exactly, but like like Jack, I clocked out of the story around then. I got a, was lost in what was happening like an hour later. But uh, yeah, like my review says, I'm just glad it's over. Um, is there, Jack? You're the VFX guy. You love VFX, especially bad VFX. Is this the worst VFX of any movie you've ever seen? Yeah, I, I, I've, I've got to say so. And like, I, like I said, like I am a huge apologist. Like I will, I understand that they're hard and stuff doesn't exactly age great. So like. Like the, the original King Kong, for example. Like I'm never gonna call that dated. Like it's just it still has a charm to it. But even like 1997 for 30 million dollars, and that's what you were able to come up with. That's where I start to take issues. Uh, yeah, I could. But, but yeah, it was it was an amusing movie uh, to say the least. I will say, but. When and even if, the people, but when even the people who have seen the original one go ha- go half a star on this one, I'm I'm not do I, I'm glad to know I'm not doing anything wrong. <laughs> and then for the listeners, uh, yesterday we had our big finale for the season of poker, where every loser had to watch a movie. And now these gentlemen, uh, I did come out on top. Mister Jack Renault will be watching Cannibal Holocaust. And Mr. Luke will be watching the Dennis Rodman action classic, Simon Says. I originally thought of giving him double team for any action fans out there. But I went with Simon Says because in Simon Says, Dennis Rodman is the lead of the film. So that is... That was, I, that was quite the news to wake up to. I was, <laughs> I was like, I, ooh, Van Damme movie. Oh, I scrolled down. <laughs> Just a Rodman solo movie. I think because I think with Van Damme, there's a shot you actually may like it. Because I do like it. It's just fucking terrible. But, um, yeah, Jack, what else do you want to highlight? Uh, well, you know, every now and then as a cinephile, you have to sometimes to reel it back and admit that you might have been wrong about a movie. And I've always said a Jurassic Park isn't quite top 10 Spielberg for me. Not that I don't, not that I've never liked, disliked the movie, but it's just Spielberg, the man with like 10 plus, like at least four and a half star movies. So I rewatched it and it's in my top 10 now. Thank you. Welcome to the club. However. Oh, God damn it. I am with Luke and I do not think the dinosaur should have been invited to our little critic circle list recently. Uh, But I will see that high up. Okay. that's my issue. If it, I will like, give you that. 30, that. That was where I was like, oh, I love this movie. And then I saw that and I was like, man. Okay, like, Jack, can I ask you a question? Would you? Put, sure. I do agree there. Do you put it top 50 at least? I don't. If Jaws, if Jaws is there first, then sure. I think <sighs> that being there over Jaws, I, I, I think Spielberg's decision – in Jaws, like that effort of problem solving is maybe like one of the best moves of any director that I've ever witnessed. Like that problem solving, that just instantly puts it like in terms of movies being made, that's just one of the best, I think. 
man, I feel so I feel so bad for, that Luke probably hates me because Jurassic is my number two Spielberg. Jurassic is my number eight Spielberg. At least it's, but it's I've only seen great. fourteen. But I've that's, only that, seen that's 14. probably that's probably around where it is for me. Uh, but for me, like Raiders and ET or Raiders and Jaws will be my number one and two probably forever. ET is my thirteen. Oh my Jesus! But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was gonna say I know what Dave's one is. Good, th- oh, good thing I wasn't on the ET pod. No, I would have to. I, I you may be uh, the doctor character, maybe my or the scientist episode. character in that movie. But no, yeah. Anything else, Jack? On your end? Uh, and then I also want to highlight a weird triple crown. Three movies in three days, all three of which made me cry. Which was just weird, because that's never happened. So the first of which was Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Uh, I finally got to catch that, and yes. I, I I adore that movie. It's so adorable, and uh, I was talking about, or I'll talk about it with another movie later, but that right there is just a really calming movie, honestly. And I mentioned in my review, I'm not a huge like mockumentary fan for the most part, but it really worked for me with this movie. Uh the next of the three to make me cry, uh, the newly re- the newly released Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I set expectations know. really high for you. You really did, and somehow they still met them. Because um, I've never been like over the moon about many of the Pinocchio movies. I like the first, the Disney one, quite a bit. But if I had to go through like my Disney animated rankings, that would maybe be like lower on my ten. Uh, but this one, I mean, I'm a stop motion fiend. Like, I will just eat up anything that's stop motion. So that already wasn't in for me. And the cast was great. I think um, I, I I laughed my ass off when I saw that Kate Blanchett voiced the monkey. The monkey? Yeah. That made me so happy. I was like, she should, like, when, when slash if she wins her Oscar, they should put Tar slash Pinocchio right. on the statue because it was such an adorable character. And the last of the movies which I just watched last night. Yes. That I, I just I de- learned. I demand an apology. 30, that I, for what? That I just learned turns 30 today. Oh, perfect. The, perfect timing. The Muppets Christmas Carol. What a picture. Yes. And I'm sorry, Luke. I must say it is my favorite Michael Caine performance. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'll, I'll see that. It is a great performance. It's not, okay. not quite. Charlie Croker is a different kind of good. Yeah, the, the Italian job, <laughs> but yeah, I've I've always been like a big fan of the Muppets. I'm not, I haven't seen the movie in a while though, so I was really interested to go back to it. Uh, and it really just it nailed it, it hit me harder than I thought it really would have. And it's probably my favorite Muppets Muppets movie, if not it, the Muppet movie. It is mine. Movie. It's like uh, Carol and, and Muppet movie are right. Yeah. neck and neck i love both of them I'm, I'm a huge fan of the muppets too so i think the mm-hmm. puppeteering in this movie was top notch oh yeah and uh i love gonzo is my favorite muppet for obvious reasons um i kind of love that he was a narrator and I, his back and forth with virgil the rat was, is, was oh, hilarious yeah. mm-hmm. so i'm glad i'm glad that you loved it because i am a big fan of that movie it's one of my favorite christmas films of all time uh anything else uh that's it all right uh luke what do you got uh, it's been a slow December for me just because I'm catching up with a lot of homework. But uh, I do get in the odd occasional Christmas movie where I've done enough math homework that I just need to relax for two hours. So the first December, I rewatched Last Christmas. The rating went down a little bit, but 
what can you do? I still enjoy that to some degree. Uh, then I watched Violent Night. It was okay. Yeah, think, that's what I thought too. I liked it. Some, some things were really good. David Harbour was extremely good, but maybe something is just dragged on a little bit too much. Uh, then, of course, a definite Christmas rewatch I have to do every year, Die Hard. But I watched mm-hmm. it with the Mr. Sunday Movies commentary, which is something I've never done before, watch a movie with a commentary, and that was very enjoyable. Do you guys know I, Mr. Sunday I Movies? I don't. I don't, know. That's That's surprising. But uh, I recommend checking that channel out. Uh, then uh, something you guys were not too happy about, uh, my rating, is uh, Christmas Vacation. Yeah. It's fallen, fallen down to two, to two stars, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I, I just didn't really enjoy that too much. I, I get it. I, I do was get... making a thumbnail for a certain league video yes. that's coming up. Tomorrow. I, I got to say, Luke, I do get why you didn't love it because it, t- it took me a long time to really just like fully think it's one of my favorite Christmas movies because of like as I grow older and I become an adult I kind of, and I run Christmas at the house, I kind of see, you know, what Clark goes through. But I, I, you know, hopefully in the next couple of years, that'll go up for you. Maybe. And then, of course, I have to clear my my debt of Mortal Kombat Annihilation. I can't wait for. I, I may bring you guys back just when you guys see your Punisher movies, especially Jack. I, you think you're bringing me back with that? Trust, trust me. I've done some reading into the movie, and that's a hard thing for me to go positive on. Oh um, yeah, so... I I think I don't even I don't even hold on. While we while we're here, I'm curious what I gave that movie. Yeah, I gave two stars. Two stars. I yeah, two I was stars, gonna yeah. say like Hel- Helmer's review, like the stuff he touches on in that, like that's the kind of stuff that like I will like not like. So I hate it. I hate. I don't hate the movie. If I will say if that part that Helmer hates that I hate that you're definitely gonna hate wasn't in the movie, I'd probably push it up to three. To be honest with mm. you, but okay. I I can't get past that. It's absolutely yeah. disgusting that 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 I. But at least you didn't get the worst punishment. Shout out to Helmer, who has to watch a Serbian film. Which... Oh my god, dude. <laughs> I don't think Kyle could do that. I think he... I, Just I, based on the stuff I've heard. I thought about what I would give him, but the fact that he had such a large lead and lost it all, I needed to go really deep on his punishment. Yeah. I think he earned <laughs> that one. Um, and then for me, I've, I've had COVID, so I've had a lot of time to re- contemplate the meaning of my life and watch movies. So... I watched Bardo uh, two weeks ago, and I thought it was – I liked it a lot. I understand why people don't like it, but I, 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 I like the unconventional nature of his version of Roma, Belfast, Fablemans. Is it going to be more love than the Fablemans? No, absolutely not. But I do think it's uh, – I, th- I do think it's his Lynchian version of his biopic, and I thought visually <clears throat> it's stunning. And there's a twist at the end that'll get you. I think it's very Nolan-esque on the twist. Uh, I saw Senior, the Robert Downey Senior documentary. Mm, mm. Uh, outside of Lucy and Desi, my favorite documentary of the year. It's mm. highly recommended. It's only 87 minutes. Uh, I saw Emancipation. And uh, it's one of the worst movies of the year. Hmm. I've heard some people say that like Will Smith could get up for Best Actor for it. I don't so. know. What, I don't know what movie they watched. 
Yeah, but it's it's definitely not like a consist. That's definitely not like the consensus because like I heard some people say that. I'm hearing like a lot of different buzz. So the best are the positive reviews that I've seen, and I'm not gonna call anyone out here because that's not what I do. I'm just gonna shit on their thoughts. Um, the ones that thought the cinematography looked gorgeous. This is the most disgusting looking movie I've seen in this Oscar season. It is hideous it felt like the dp didn't know whether he wanted a black and white movie or he wanted a color movie so he kind of found some middle ground for it It, it's it looks hideous and ben foster deserves better he essentially plays like the cliche villain he could do this role in his sleep it's very middle of the road performance and then the other things i want to highlight i'm sorry to helmer i saw slap shot for the first time this week and i did not like it (laughs) i think i went uh Two and a half stars on it. Did not love it. Uh, and the other, anything else that I want to highlight? I saw Top Gun again for the oh, yeah. sixth time. Uh, and it's still wonderful. That's more than I've seen. Oh, really? And that's your favorite movie of the year? Yeah. I went on a Tarantino. it three times. Um, I also went on a Tarantino binge. Sorry, Jack. The Hateful Eight is not good. Uh, it's all right. I, I got Hunter and Jake and Jake coffee with me, so I, I think I'll, it's great. Jack. You too, for the record. Oh yeah, let's just strong four out of five. It's so yeah. it's did it have to be two forty five, Jack? I liked his extended edition where it's longer and it's just broken up into four like oh, individual episodes. Yeah, oh. I, I I think it's Tarantino like just doing what like. Tarantino, for me at least, he's always been. I've always liked him more as a writer than a director. And this, to yeah. me, I think is one of his like. This movie is like all in the writing. Is like the way that I look at it. Like, there's no like really grand set pieces or anything like that. It's just purely like engaging and entertaining for me. So yeah, and if that's for, why. I like and then for me, you mentioned writing, and I do want to shout out. I probably outside of Pulp Fiction, my favorite screenplay of his, and True Romance. Okay. I adore that movie so much. I wish he directed it because I think that I like Tony Scott. He directed the original Top Gun and, um, and amongst other movies. But I, I just feel like QT directed that movie just would have elevated so much. Um, sure. Mm-hmm. But I do love it. So I want to give a shout out to that. And yeah. And then that and then oh, I saw the Eternal Daughter, the new Joanna Hogg movie. Shout out to Hunter again because he knows my taste. I hated it. I hated every second of this movie. It's a one star for me. It is awful. I hated it. I don't mind slow cinema, but this is the second year in a row Tilda Swin has got me with slow burn garbage. Last year was <laughs> Memoria. Uh, I, I, that's what I thought, yeah. But yeah, that wraps up what we watched this week. So let's get into it, gentlemen. Let's talk about It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, the over-under on Jack crying. Well, where are we at right now? Plus 100? We haven't well, we haven't started talking about it yet, so we're gonna have to see where the conversation goes. All righty. So I guess we can start off. Usually I do the production, but I kind of want to start off on your first time watching *It's a Wonderful Life* because this movie has been around forever, um, seventy-five years at this point. So Jack, your first time you met George Bailey and the great Mister Potter. Uh yeah, it was. A bit later than I probably would have liked it to have been, which is interesting because I had always seen it on VHS throughout my childhood, thanks to the public domain and its countless releases on the medium. Uh, But eventually I did see it when I was uh, roughly around 16 or 17. Uh, And just like 
from that night on, it just moved me. It's the most emotional movie I've seen from both a positive and negative perspective because I cheer my heart out at the end, but then like throughout everything in the rest of the movie, like my heart is just breaking with everything that George Bailey has to go through. Uh, it's my favorite Christmas movie. It's the only Christmas movie that I think really can stand up among like the best movies of all time. Uh, and it's my favorite performance from my favorite actor. Uh, although I would say Vertigo's probably Jimmy Stewart's best performance. This is the movie that I'm, this is my favorite like movie of his and the one that I'll remember the most without question. Awesome. And Luke. Yes. The first year I watched it was 2018, I think. So I would have been 16. Uh, this was, this guess was two weeks before Luke Reviews was founded, thanks to Bumblebee. Uh, but that's a, sto- that's a story for another day. Uh, yeah, I've always heard of it. Like, oh, it's this great Christmas classic. It's super sad. Uh, when I first watched it, I thought, yeah, that was pretty good. So I, it didn't click for me the, the way it did uh, a few years later. I guess we'll get maybe into that a bit later. But uh, yeah, I thought it was really good. But then, yeah. I didn't have much thoughts on it at the time. Yeah, for me, I was a kid. Uh, It used to play on NBC on Thanksgiving night every year. It kind of kicked off the holiday season. Obviously, it doesn't happen anymore. Now they just play, like, I think football or or just other games or whatever. Uh, The first time I saw it and paid attention to it, I was actually a little older than you, Jack. Um... And I kind of just became engrossed with the idea of George Bailey, like the human George Bailey. And kind of from there, I've kind of, I feel like every human being in this planet should strive to be George Bailey, like such a good human being. Um, As I've grown older, I, you know, I've seen different things in the film and analyze it in certain ways but there's one thing that never changes is kind of like how george bailey is the perfect person even when he does wrong you kind of understand why he's doing certain things uh and i think it's the we talk about die hard as the like christmas adjacent i think it's a wonderful life is the perfect example of christmas adjacent because it's really not a christmas movie at all it, it really isn't like i could honestly like I mean, like, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and, like, Muppets Christmas Carol. Like, I probably couldn't. Like, those are, like, in my top three, like, watches around, like, the Christmas season. But, like, I wouldn't watch those, like, around the year. It's a Wonderful Life. I probably could. Not only because, like, it's not, like, fully reliant on the Christmas season, but also just, like, the movie and what I get from the movie just is so nurturing and so good for me personally yeah that i could really just watch it like any time of year and if, be happy. it's funny if you really think about it die hard is more of a christmas movie than it's a wonderful life because it takes place longer on the holiday i'd have to agree yeah i mean if you, again it's kind, it's, it's so kind of funny, funny. The, yeah the whole like christmas movie arguments it's just like a really like sliding scale of what you want to go by but I, I've always considered them both Christmas movies. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I, but I also can watch both of them on, that not on Christmas. So. Yeah, same here. But, yeah, let's get into the production of the movie. Uh, I know, Jack, you have some stuff. I have 
a bit of information here. The original story, The Greatest Gift, was written by Philip Van Doren Stern in November 1939. After it was rejected by several publishers, he had it printed as a 24-page pamphlet and mailed to 200 family members and friends uh, for Christmas 1943. The story came to the attention of Cary Grant and RKO producer David Hempstead, who showed it to Grant's agent, and in April 1944, RKO bought the rights for $10,000, hoping to turn it into a vehicle for Grant. Now, let's stop here for a second. Um, Jack, Cary Grant in this movie. I'm sorry, I adore I adore Cary Grant, but I don't, I don't think it's the same movie. I think Cary Grant... I, I haven't seen much of him doing this but the difference between the two is like Cary Grant is like I I feel like that's almost it's not the same thing but I feel like it kind of would have been similar to what you would have gotten if you put someone like Sly or Arnold in Die Hard yeah because the thing that works so well about Jimmy Stewart is that you he's just kind of like the everyman like Cary Grant back is like he was the man and that's like what Bruce Willis is in Die Hard. He's kind of just like any dude could have just been like thrown into that scenario. And he just happened like while he was like struggling and all that stuff, he just happened to do it. So I think it would have been kind of movie ruining, but no disrespect to Cary Grant because he, he's a phenomenal actor. For sure. And I don't know, Luke, have you seen any Cary Grant movies or not? Uh, not yet. Not yet. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get you there. Um, we had the great Dalton Trumbo, uh, Clifford Odets and Mark Conley each worked on versions of the screenplay before RK actually shelved the project. In Trumbo's draft, George Bailey is an idealistic politician who grows more cynical as the story progresses then tries to commit suicide after losing an election. The angel shows in Bedford Falls not as if he would have been born, but if he had gone into business instead of politics. I don't think the movie would be... I mean, I like Dalton Trumbo. <laughs> I just don't think... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would... That that one would not have worked for me as well as this one does. Uh, RKO Studios uh, Chief Charles Coroner urged Frank Capra to read The Greatest Gift. Capra's new production company, Liberty Films, had a nine-film distribution agreement with RKO. Capra immediately saw its potential and wanted it for his first Hollywood film after making documentaries and training films during the war. RKO sold Capra the right for $10,000 and threw in the three earlier scripts for free. Capra claimed the right and the scripts cost him $50,000. Regarding the casting of Jimmy Stewart, in his autobiography, Frank Capra recalled, Of all the actors... Roles. Oh wait, of all the actors' roles, I believe the most difficult is the role of Good Sam, who doesn't know that he is a Good Sam. I knew only one man who could play it, Jimmy Stewart. I spoke to Lou Wasserman, the MCA agent who handled Jimmy, told him I wanted to tell Jimmy uh, the story, and Wasserman said Stewart would gladly play play the part without hearing the story. Stewart had already worked with Capra previously and collaborated on You Can't uh, Take It With You, and Mr. Smith goes to Washington who in the the film that Stewart should have won the Academy Award for. He should have won the Academy Award for three, but first one should have been for that one. No yes, doubt. absolutely. Uh, any extra thoughts on the production, Jack, or do you have any other notes that I missed? Well, I want to kind of just go off a little bit on a small tangent about Lou Wasserman because he is actually the – he is actually a key factor when it comes to the destruction of the studio system. Because it was him and Jimmy Stewart in the 50s who 
made an innovative deal with Universal. They forego or they forego James Stewart's salary for Winchester 73 in lieu of profit participation. And that netted him $600,000 then, which today is worth $7.4 million. So that essentially was the first time that an actor got to negotiate like for salary within a movie. So that being very common practice today was started by Jimmy Stewart back in the 50s. Um, and then for Jimmy Stewart, like uh, Frank Capra, this was his first movie after World War II. Uh, and funnily enough, he was actually the highest ranking actor in the military, James Stewart. He finished off as a brigadier general. Oh, wow. He, conti- he continued to do uh, Air Force. Uh, he continued to be involved with the Air Force throughout the rest of his career. He would do um, – he, he didn't, like, participate in the Army, but, like, he would ha- he helped out in, like, Vietnam, like, the Korean War. So the Stewart family had a huge military tradition, and I think I read that even, like, his – like some of the Stuart bloodline came over on the Mayflower. So he has a strong American, like he has a strong American tie with his family. And I got to say, I mean, Stuart is probably in my top three favorite actors of all time. Yeah, so I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, he he's my number one. He's just a, a, an actor who like, if he's in a movie, like that's going to probably be like an instant, like two and a half stars yeah. just for him alone. Even the greatest show on earth, <laughs> which like, I hate to say that that's the one movie starring him that's one best picture out of everything he's been in. That's just kind of, while we love the Oscars, we sometimes have to sit back and remind things like that. So, yeah. Uh, Luke, have you seen any other Jimmy Stewart movies besides this or not yet? I, I have. In fact, Vertigo. Vertigo and Rear Window. Delightful. He was, he, was, he was brilliant in both of those. Yes. I, Fun fact, I share a birthday with one Jimmy Stewart. May what? 20th. Lucky. Yeah, that's yeah, someone's no birthday that I'd, want, that I'd want to share with. Um, we got we to gotta put him on to some other Jimmy Stewart like uh, Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, the Frank, the other Frank Cappers, too, I think. I think, I think he'd like really them. like it. Like there's yeah. this like he has a monologue Luke and Mr. Smith goes to Washington where he just cooks for like 20 minutes. It's I, I don't know how you did win the Oscar for that. Uh, but yeah, moving on, the movie was released on, on December 20th, 1946 with a budget of 3.8 million. Actually lost money. It only made a, a box office of 3.3 million. So that's I think it's made up for since then in a whole video sales and oh, yeah. how much it plays on television. So let's move on to our first category, the trophy room, where we look at some of the awards that this movie won or did not win. It was nominated for six Oscars in 1946. Best Picture, Director, Actor, Film Editing, Sound Recording, Technical Achievement Award, which it won. The best years of our lives. And it sucks because that movie actually is very, it's very good. good. So I don't, I, it's not one of those best picture wins. That I'm like, oh my God, this, this is egregious. I see it. I actually do love the best years of our lives. So I can't even, yeah. I can't even hate on that. But I think Jimmy Stewart should have won actor. Yes. Yeah. That, that, that I agree with. I think he should have won actor. And it's funny because meanwhile, that year, Another Christmas movie was winning was winning Oscars. Miracle on 34th Street 
yep. had their Chris Kringle win Best Supporting Actor that year. So Still one of the weirdest but fun Oscar stats you could throw out there that Santa Claus has an Oscar. Oh, yeah. I, I, that's one of my favorite wins ever. Not like in terms of like the mastery of the performance, but just being able to say that he Santa's won an Oscar. That's awesome. Like, I have no problem with the supporting acting win for Best Years of Our Lives, but Frederick March winning for over Jimmy Stewart. I mean, it's a good performance, but I still think Jimmy Stewart's better. Uh, now we get to years later. <laughs> um, oh, I forgot. It's a Wonderful Life also received the Golden Globe for uh, director for Frank Capra. Yeah, so at least I won something that year. Now we get to AFI, where it's ranked as the number one most inspirational movie of all time. That's very correct. The one time yeah, I'll agree fully with the AFI. And then it's ranked list. as the number 20 greatest movie of all time, which I will say, if we ever, ever, ever get to this, I think this is hitting the top 10 next time we see this list. I hope it does. I hope it does. Uh, what do you it's have? in my top 10. It's. And it's my, I think at this point, I kind of have like this in the quote unquote feel good section of my top 25 now. So I have um, Singing in the Rain, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, and A Christmas Story back to back to back. Those are kind of my feel good, okay. feel good section. So 17, 18, 19 on my top 25 of all time. Uh, Jack, you have some AFI for us? Yeah, it was also the eighth best passion of all time, uh, the relationship between Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed, to which I I fully agree. They're my favorite couple in any movie. I adore those two together. The heroes and villains list. George Bailey ranks number nine on the heroes, while our beloved Mr. Potter ranks number six on the villains. That's a bit. And I will say George Bailey could probably George Bailey could go a bit higher. Who's number one on that list? Do you do you have that? Villains, yeah, heroes, villains. heroes. Uh, heroes is Atticus Finch. Yeah, all right, yeah. And villains <sighs> is Hannibal Lecter. I completely disagree with both those number ones, but that's that's another story for <laughs> another time. Um, and, and and it was also the third best fantasy movie of all time, behind Lord of the Rings and The Wizard of Oz. I guess that's fine because those are actually really yeah. fantasy. Fantasy film yeah, in the genre. And King, King, and King Kong's right after, so that's a banger of a top four. King, right King there. Kong's a documentary. Like, <laughs> this is the we haven't found we haven't found Skull it's, Island. It's about twenty twenty two New York, actually. Um, all right, so I have a little bit of note here. You kind of started talking about it, Jack, regarding the copyright issues to this movie. So Liberty Films was purchased by Paramount Pictures and remained a subsidiary. Until 1951, in 1955, M&A Alexander purchased the movie. This included the rights to the original television syndication. A a clerical error at NTA prevented the copyright from being renewed properly until 1974, after NTA took over the rights from M&A Alexander. So, this movie has kind of just been all over the place over the last 75 years. The latest that we have is that in 1994, NBC bought the rights to the movie. And that's where the whole playing on Thanksgiving began. Um, Now at this point, it's streaming everywhere. I think it's streaming now on Amazon Prime. But it's just interesting. Mm -hmm. Like a movie of this stature falls in line with like 
Night of the Living Dead, where it comes to the copyright issues or, or, or intellectual property just like all over the place for so long. Before we move on to the cat- other categories, I got to ask, have you seen the colored version? I absolutely have. I've, I, for research purposes, not for enjoyment purposes, I think... I think the colorization is wrong, but it looks good. I agree. I think I, out, of all, out of all out of all the movies that they like colorized back in like the late '80s when Ted Turner went like crazy with the T, with the TCM library, he "It's a Wonderful Life" is really the only one that I think looks good, but it still I think takes away from a lot of the mood uh, of the movie, especially like the later scenes when. Like Jimmy Stewart's down and like the lighting is really dark in the black and white version. It doesn't look that way with the, color the colorized version. So it just it does it just doesn't work as good. Have you seen yeah, it? The first time I watched it was actually in color. I guess I just didn't know that mm-hmm. it was in black and white. And just the first first link that I found was the colored version. So I just went. They with don't it. differentiate that on Amazon Prime, I think, which is what annoys me. Yeah, they do. Think, they, do they, they, they do now. They do now. Oh, yeah, okay. I accidentally. But then I've watched it in black and white every year since and it's just it, it, it just fits more like jack said the the darker moments hit more it just feels more authentic yeah i, I concur it's it's kind of like the way i feel uh with the isle of lucy christmas special that they used to play on cbs every year until 2020 that they sh- have that in color uh i like my isle of lucy in black and white so i definitely get it all righty Let's get to what's aged the best and what's aged the worst. Uh, you know me, Jack. You know I stretch here to have some fun. So I'll I'll leave that for last. Luke, what do you have for what's aged the best? I'll start with you. Uh, I just wrote everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah, but but uh, ju- just like some minor things that I thought. Uh, opening credits. I told this to Jack during our King Kong watch, I think. Bring back opening credits. They're Yes. They're, yes. I just, they're much more enjoyable than just the rolling black uh, screen. Uh, two, something I've always just really enjoyed is how the they use the Stefan's quintet to like symbolize the show, the the Clarence and the Joseph just talking about it. Yep. It's like mm-hmm. the sort of blinking galaxy and whatnot. And uh, something I noticed this time, like the, the the kid versions of them are like really good. They really hold up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah young, are... young George is insanely good. Yeah, I, those I are just a few things. Jack, what do you got? And then everything else. Yeah, I, I also I it was kind of hard for me to like write individual stuff because so much of this movie it just still plays great. But honestly, the public domain. Yeah. Be that being like the driver for its like popularity, people being able to just put it on TV whenever the heck they wanted to. Uh that definitely was like the juggernaut behind its rising popularity so that i think has to be thrown in there we've already discussed george bailey's moral compass i'd say maybe the best of any movie character ever sometimes it's too good for his own good uh george and mary's honeymoon what what a scene man that just that scene is so perfect following like following like maybe one of the biggest like struggles that they would have like in their relationship and that whole the bank on the run scene is just one that's one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie and or the run on the bank scene and both jimmy stewart and donna reed's actions in that scene uh when she comes in with the money and is willing to like give it up it's just it 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 just right there and then it was like all right these two are perfect for each other 
uh, Bert and Ernie's friendship. I know we talked a bit about this off the line, Dave. But those two are awesome. Yeah, I love them. Uh, Annie's role in the family. I think most movies from this time would have would have put her in like a different light, but the Bailey family all just really likes her. She seems one of the family. They like talk with her. They make jokes with her. And she even has a couple of the best lives of the movie, especially at the end when she gives her money saying that she was saving it for a divorce. If she ever got a husband. Yeah. That was um, still, and it hits when you're crying in the, the moment of the it, movie it, where you're crying. Yeah. It, it makes it, it makes it even better when you're laughing while crying at the same time. And just the ending as a whole, the final 10 minutes, everything of starting with George going back to the bridge throughout the end it's just a contender for my favorite 10 minutes in movie history awesome alrighty so I try to see not to repeat some of the stuff that you said so I do have the film's themes of self-worth I think that's aged so well um, ear infections have they aged well not maybe, for George maybe, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> May, 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 we'll talk about that when we get to peaks. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart's locking lips. Let me tell you something. The first, and you're probably like, what am I talking about? The sequence where him and Mary first kiss is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in any movie because Jimmy Stewart is just like slobbering all over her neck and forehead. And, fa- and it, it's such an odd kissing sequence. It feels like Jimmy Stewart, and I do have that in the fun facts, hadn't kissed a woman in years. Mm-hmm. It's such an odd scene. It's it's funny, it's sweet, but it's also like hilarious to watch. Um, I really love the pull sequence in the gym. I think that whole sequence oh, yeah, works yeah, really yeah. well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. First time I saw it, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa! The pool's opening underneath. Wow, yeah, they have the a coolest pool thing under- ever. Yeah, I, I wish my school had that. Uh, the entire lasso speech. I actually, fun fact, I actually took. A part of that lasso speech where uh, Jimmy Stewart's talking about, or George is talking about how he would throw a lasso over the moon if Mary wanted it. I actually use that at my wedding vows. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, that's, so that, that's hype. Yeah, yeah. so because I, I wrote my own, I wrote my own vows, and that's I add, that's how I finished the vows uh, with with mm-hmm. that with that line about the moon. Uh, vinyl records have aged really well. You see them all I'm over the so place. Happy in this when movie? she smashed it, like that song. I, I, is... I, I was not, I was not happy. Because I was a 78, and because th- 78s, like, those break a lot easier than, like, the big, like, albums. So I could tell that, like, when she smashed it, it was, like, that's kind of what, I'm pretty sure what she smashed, like, like you know what a 45 is, you know, like, the record with, like, the big hole in the middle. The se- 78s are essentially that, but, like, without that, and they go a lot faster, and they're a lot easier to break, too, so. Um, you're it was already... always, I, I, that made me mad when I saw that. I was like, why are you breaking that record? That's probably I just don't the really like the song. <laughs> I actually, wait, the Buffalo Girls, can you come out tonight? That song? Yeah, or... that, I, I like that That's song. in my aged worst. I actually oh have, God. oh, no, I like that song. Um, Just Mary as a wife. I think she's one of the best wives in cinema, cinema history. I think she's phenomenal. Uh, The American Gothic painting. Do you know the story behind the American Gothic painting? I know what it is. I don't know like the inspiration. So Frank Capra was pretty pissed off at at uh, Lionel Barrymore for showing up the way he did on set because he resembled the man in the American Gothic painting. That's funny. Yeah, that that's, that, that, that's actually pretty funny. <laughs> uh, the entire thirty minutes, final thirty minutes, where we have the George and Clarence dynamic unfold. Um, the final everything in the final, the final like five minutes where I like break down and just like 
that's all. That's all a facial uh, performance by Stuart. Like mm-hmm. his reaction to show it to seeing how much he's loved is just breaks like like breaks my heart in just the the the, the greatest ways. Um, I gotta say that the toast at the end where they say a toast to George, the richest man I know. Just come on, man. Come on, man. And finally, Mister Potter's business savvy. Oh my god. And you're wondering what Go I'm talking ha- about. Have at, have at it. I'm, I'm going to sit back for this one. Let the audience hear. Um, Uncle Billy, which we're going to talk about in a, in, a, in a second and what's aged the worst. Um, Mr. Potter just helping his company. His competitor. He's a businessman. He's a businessman doing, doing business thing. That's all I need to say about Mr. Potter. <laughs> um. All jokes aside, my wife, who will be here in this podcast later this week, she absolutely eviscerated me in a debate about Mr. Potter this week, so I'm not even going to go any further because I don't want to hear it at home. Um, but yeah, that's all jokes aside, like the final, the richest man I know is that that's such a great line, and it just hits. What age the worst if there is anything? Luke, I'll let you start since you had the hot take. Of Buffalo Girl, can just, you come I, out tonight? I just have very minor things, like like you said, the, the song. I, I I don't love the song. Uh, maybe just some things that of the of the time, like there's some awkward cuts, like when Uncle Billy loses the money. There's like a strange cut. That, mm-hmm. but it's like a small small novelty. Uh, just something you always love to see in old movies, like rear projection. It it doesn't mm-hmm. look amazing. But you still love it. Like me and Jack watched uh, King Kong. There's some amazing rear projection scenes. But you still love to see it. And the other thing, and I, and I quote exactly what I've written in my notes: Sam Wainwright always doing that yeehaw shit. <laughs> um, can I piggyback off to just say that is the first thing I wrote about what's aged the worst? I hate with my whole body and existence. Yeehaw! I hate it, Jack. It's so <laughs> awful. So I agree one thousand percent with Luke. Uh, Jack, would you got anything? I don't have anything, but I can certainly like I, I can understand that. Me at least, like I always kind of just I wrote it off because like my friends and I like there's still like inside jokes that like like we that have like built over the years that we'll like still reference. And it's like yeah, maybe not to the extent that he goes hee-haw, but. You know, I, I get what he's doing, but yeah, you got, uh, all right. So for me, for what's age the worst, um, I have the hee haw, like Luke mentioned, ice ponds, definitely age the worst. No one does that. At least in this area, no one does any oh, of that yeah, stuff on man. ice ponds. Um, George's father making Mr. Potter a part of the board of the building alone. I think that kind of st- sets off all the, the 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 bad luck that happened to the building alone, just Potter being on the board. Yeah, uh, it's uh, bad. It's another thing of like you know business people doing business things. Yeah, I guess like, you're, yeah. I, I can I can understand why like he'd put him on the board to try to like you know get him off of his case, but Mister Potter is <laughs> Mister Potter only has one thing in mind and it's for the sure. Bag. Uh, Zuzu as a kid, Respect. as a child's name. I think Zuzu is one of the worst children's name. You, you it has we talk to be short for something. We talk, I want to know what it's short for. Yeah, yeah. I have. And then to I'll know give it, it the excuse because right now I will take Colin Cochran over Zuzu as a as a name in movies. I just think of Pazuzu from The Exorcist, <laughs> and that's like 
Yeah, that that's like the only other thing that comes close, but. And then the only thing I have is uh, Uncle Billy as a character. Also, Uncle Billy being employed by the building alone. And also, Uncle Billy using string on his fingers to remember things. But he couldn't remember what each string meant. Jack, defend your boy. Uncle Billy is the worst. As good as George Bailey is, Uncle Billy is one of the stupidest imbeciles in movie history. Defend your boy. I'm not defending him just because I look like him. Uh, I, <laughs> I I think that the the thing that really is interesting, I, I said it earlier, but George is often like too good for his own good. I think uh, I think Uncle Harry or Uncle Harry, Uncle Billy is the like the depiction of that because I think when he he could have ratted him out to Potter when he said, "You lost the money." But he instead just looks out for his family and says no. So, yeah, Uncle Billy, not the most capable of people. And it really, it it also kind of just points to the whole, you know, the what if scenario of if George had never been born. Uncle Billy is in a a mental institution because of uh, whatever whatever happened to the building alone. Because it sounded like he became uh, the owner after George Bailey. when George Bailey wasn't there. Yeah, I, I I see that. I mean, I I get his purpose in the film. Don't get me wrong. I just think he's a, just a damn idiot. <laughs> just <laughs> yeah, complete oh, fool. Oh, uh, speak, speaking of Uncle Billy, and we might have saved this for later, but I just had to give the shout out. The SNL sketch. Yes, so funny. Yes. I watched that. Shout out to the strings on the fingers. Did you catch them? Yes, so yeah. funny. <laughs> that was Dana Carvey, right? That was Dana Carvey doing pretty Jimmy solid Jimmy Stewart. Mm-hmm. It, it, you sent that movie last night. I was like, oh, perfect. I need to send them the SNL skit. But yeah. it, it's hold them up for me, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So let's move on to the awards here. We have first up, we have the Joe Spinell That Guy Award. I have two here. And when I think of that guy, I'm going to use these in a different vein so i have charles lane and william edmonds so charles lane is a character actor from third from the 40s 50s and and 60s and all the way i think into the 80s he is for me he is that guy because he is a character actor that appeared on multiple episodes of i love lucy Oh sure, okay. And he always played that type of character. The what he—I I think he's just a real estate agent. He has one scene in *It's a Wonderful Life* with Mr. Potter, I believe. He plays that type of character in every role that I've ever seen him in. So that's why he's that guy. William Edmonds. I first saw him when I was seven years old on an episode of *I Love Lucy*, where he plays a vacuum cleaner salesman. So when I first saw It's a Wonderful Life, I always thought that's the guy from the Handy Dandy Vacuum Cleaner episode. So those are my two that guys. Jack, what do you got? All right. So I have two also. The first of the ones that I have is Ward Bond, who plays Bert the Cop. He was in Gone with the Wind, Son of Frankenstein, The Maltese Falcon, The Searchers, and Rio Bravo. Okay, that's a good... So he's been in a lot. But there was... There was one more that I thought you would have sniped, uh, and that is Mr. Sam Rainwright, played by Frank Albertson, who was also in Psycho. 
Was that he played t- Tom Cassidy Tom- in Psycho? Did not even did not even put that together. That's a good that's a good snipe on your end. That's really good. Thought you would have gotten that one. Interesting. Luke, do you got anybody? Uh, I had two, but then I crossed them out and replaced them with uh, someone. I guess I misinterpreted this award a little, but at first I had the bank examiner and Sam Wainwright. But then they both pitch in at the end, so I, I couldn't I couldn't do that to them. Uh, so <laughs> I wrote Mr. Welsh. Who's Mr. Welsh again? The the husband of the teacher that George. Oh my oh, god! Oh oh, I think okay. So uh, I think you're talking about like the like our Dion waiters, like the one scene, like I else. guess so. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. But I, I but I, but I gotta say, if we if we if shout Mr. out to Mr. Welsh is a good pick. Shout out to the rewatchables. <laughs> if we were Dion waiters, I think we got to go with him because he's the only one. Yeah, I mean he comes the bank in examiner. Yeah, or the bank. Yeah. Or he pitches in. What, what what is it? It was like <laughs> yes, the the great line. It's like oh my brother, like we're decorating it for the wars. Like oh, I guess they do those kind of things. <laughs> <laughs> this one, I I don't even know. If, I I think this movie's cast perfectly. I actually don't yeah. have anyone for I, I, the Al I Martino Miss Cast Award. Shout out to Al Martino. He's been on his own island the last two times we've done this because there's no one I would <laughs> I would recast. All right, Deadless Shrimp Six Man of the Film Award. I I have Donna Reed, but is she in the movie too much? I think so. I I think she is it. Then I, ugh, I I just love her. I think she's so damn good. If not him, it's Clarence. Yeah, uh, it's it's got to be Clarence, I think. Uh, and then if you want to go kind of more into like a like a smaller supporting Steelers, I think uh, I think Annie's up there for sure. In her few scenes, I think she's great. Uh, Paul Bailey, who gets like one scene, really. Well, two if you count the uh, the brief scene at the beginning when he was younger. You get kind of the whole scene of him kind of sharing his whole ideals with George and why he thinks like what they're doing at the building alone is significant. Uh, and then the combo of Burton and, er- and Burton and Ernie, I think, are also great. But and I also I- quick shout out to Gloria Graham who played Violet. I think she has mm-hmm. some really solid scenes as well. She- she's great. Yeah. Luke. I only wear this when I don't care how I look. <laughs> <laughs> what What about you, Luke? Do you got anything? Uh, yeah, I, I just wrote Donna Reed because yeah, she's Donna I, she, Reed. She's every, so... every time she's on screen, she just glows. Like it's something with the camera. I don't know if they did that or it's just Donna Reed's that good. Yeah, uh, she, I think she shot. I I know we have. To, I really probably a hot take. One of the most beautiful actresses from the era. Not a hot take. I, Not I, a hot I, take. Yeah, she, she she is unreal. And then also, uh, also, I would go. I, I had this in my production, but she said it's the hardest movie she's done, which is really interesting to me. And I, I I wish I knew more about like what it was that made it so hard. I don't know if it was like the emotional, like toll that went into it or whatnot. But and it, I, she she should have been up for an Oscar. I don't know. Why I agree. There. Yeah. And in regards to Henry Travers, who plays Clarence, ironically, the only other movie I've ever seen him in was Shadow of a Doubt, the Alfred oh, Hitchcock yeah. film. Alrighty. He is in The Invisible Man. Oh, then I must Oh, that's have fun right. Fact. Yeah, okay. Oh, I've okay. seen The Invisible Man. I don't remember him in that. He's like a scientist that tells uh, The Invisible Man's wife that he's, he was like missing, messing with chemicals. It's like one scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, shoot. Towards the beginning. Um, alrighty. I mean, this one's easy. Be- uh, the Becky O'Shea Icebox MVP of the Film Award. 
I mean, it's obviously. Well, I, can, can, I I texted you about a. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Go for it. Go right. for it. And I will say it might not now be as anticipated as I thought it was because I now kind of have an answer going my way. The debut of a new category for the Reel It Back. The Maurice Jarre Award for the best music moment in the movie. I know. I know. I really only have. I I only have two nominees here. Uh, Buffalo Gals, won't you come out tonight? And Old Lang Syne. It's Old Lang Syne. Yeah. Like absolutely. I I I would say uh, I'll talk about it more when it comes to peak. But a lot of movies have used it, and this might be the best. There's only one other movie I think that (laughs) kind of comes. Kind of comes close to it, and I think you might know where I'm going with it. You kind of got me on the peak because I that was uh that was my uh that was in my is this the peak for all? Pronounce I, it, I have it in all alongside. Yeah, I I I think that I think is it. Um, but yeah, MVP I have Jimmy Stewart and Frank Capra. I I think I'm gonna have to go with Frank Capra. I think Jimmy Stewart is huge for the movie, but I think Frank Capra's movies primarily had a message, especially like the three that we really think about nowadays being, well, throw in, it it happened one night, but you can't take it with you. Um, Mr. Smith goes to Washington and it's a wonderful life. All of them kind of just have this theme of that we're stronger together. And I think that was something that he really believed and, Having done a lot of research on him, especially hearing that um, the House of Un-American Activities actually issued a memo on this movie saying that, like, the way that they portrayed, like, Mr. Potter is, like, bad and, like, not how, like, Ah, bankers are and that. So just, like, I think the amount of stuff that he probably, like, went through, because I know that he was, I think he was... I think he might have been like uh, investigated by the house. Uh, So yeah, I mean, this is just like for one of the most powerful people in Hollywood at the time, I think this is probably like the best thing he did. So for to that, I got to give him the MVP. Alrighty. And for the sake of variety, I went with Henry Travers as Clarence. Okay. Okay. I like that. I like that. Yeah. he, He just brings this childlike wonder to every scene he's in like uh like like we're in the bar when in the bar he's like oh i'll have a mulled wine with cinnamon and like, <laughs> he, he doesn't really know what's going on but maybe that's what exactly what george needs like, mm-hmm. it's just it, it's just a great contrast with like you know, george being in absolute despair not knowing what's going on and clarence just there to kind of guide him i gotta say and, like the whole claire i do i i like that pick uh luke shout out to the man helps him out of the water after after Jimmy Stewart rescues him and they're just hanging yeah. in that in that pier. His facial expressions are pretty hilarious. <laughs> him falling out of the chair just like like oh like and where are you from? Heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, so we go to Peaks and Valley here. So Luke, Jack, is this the peak? I guess the answer is yes for it. Odd loose side. What else do you have outside of this? It's either this or when Harry met Sally. I think it, it's I think this. It, it's this. It's it's this, but I, Harry Met Sally's second. Uh is this the peak for good guys in cinema? Like just it has to be like not just like the hero of the movie, literally like a good person. Good in person, yes, yes. 
I think so, Cause, too. Because, like, like we've mentioned, even the scenes where, like, even, like, when Jimmy Stewart, like, snaps at, like, his children, that even that's from a place where, like, people watching, like, they understand, like, sometimes, you know, sometimes you snap at people who you don't mean to just because of shit, and e- even that kind of stuff, like, we, we don't, like, feel any less of him because of that. Is this the peak for Buffalo Girl? Can you come out tonight? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is this no the... comment. <laughs> I have you ever heard it in any other movie? I don't even think I've ever no. heard it. <laughs> no. Good. <laughs> I, I've heard this. I, I've heard the song before, but I've only heard it in this movie. Is this truly, truly a product of the times? This is actually a good question because there's so many movies that have this. Is this movie the peak for idiot family members working in a family business? What are your other? What are your other horses in the race? All right, The Godfather. I was, I was, I was thinking the Godfather. <laughs> because as much as I love Fredo as a character, he has no business working in the family business. Um, I th- I feel like that's the answer. But I'm trying to think of what else that comes to mind off the top of my head. Um, Something in Succession, surely. <laughs> I was going to say Succession. Uh, but this is that's a good answer for this. Um, it has to be the God- Godfather. I think I I think it is the Godfather. Just be- the thi- go ahead, go ahead. And it's also the funny thing because it's just like, how do these two people deal with their family members? Because, like, you know, like Michael kills James Stewart is James Stewart is too good of a person. He takes the blame for him and would go to jail because of it. And Michael, on the other hand, just kills him. He took his brother fishing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, yeah, I think I think my answer is Fredo. Do you have anyone, Luke? Just I know I brought this question off the top. Uh, I don't know. Uncle Billy and Fredo are really up there. Yeah. Maybe I, Roy sending a dick pic to his dad. He's <laughs> up there. So if Just we are going to talk about Succession real quick, I guess that's a good segue real quick to Succession in terms of maybe TV characters. I don't think it's I don't think it's Romulus as the worst you know, of the, the family. The dumbest. The He's dumb- got his moments. and He's got his and- moments. Who would you say? I mean, I think maybe it's just me being um what's the right word to use? I guess it's going chalk, as they say, in terms of like who the character would be. But Connor? No? I think Connor's an idiot. Well well, well he's not even like in the business, I don't think. So I I can't So I guess even, you're like, right, yeah. I, I I can't compare him to like Fredo who like Fredo, who actively, like, kind of harms, like, the balance of it. Connor doesn't really do anything to, like, harm the weight. Unless in season four, he's going to run for president. Which I hope he does. I really hope he does. Yeah. Um, After all, he's been interested since a very young age. So it would make sense. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's all I have for Peaks. Jack, do you have anything here? I would say the peak for Frank Capra, but I, I think 1938 through 39 when he did Can't Take It With You, Mr. Smith, on top of being the president of both the Academy and DGA. I'll go I'll so go as I, far to say as the run between 1934 when it happened one night to 46. to 46 is just like banger after bang. I mean, the guy did, I don't, this is a very like little spoken about Frank Capra movie. The movie he did before it's a wonderful life is arsenic and old lease 
which I've is heard of it. it. It's hilarious. It's Cary Grant. It's really funny stuff. Um, there's a guy in that movie. I uh, that thinks he's uh, Roosevelt, and mm-hmm. it's really really funny stuff. Uh, yeah. So I, I guess yeah. I maybe I will agree with you because after it's a wonderful life. I'm gonna give you what he does. State of the Union, riding high. Here comes the groom, out Mr. Sun. He, Herno the Magnificent, or Hebo the Magnificent, a hole in the head and pocket of miracles. So I do think you're right. I think this, the the end of his peak. Yeah, yeah. But although I I do think, like, he was without question at the peak of his powers in, like, 38, 39, when he was making those two two movies that could have, Arguably won Best Picture back-to-back. No shade to Gone with the Wind, but if Mr. Smith had won, I I don't think anybody would have really complained. I, I uh, concur. Jimmy Stewart, though. Nope. That's a question. No, I'm absolutely not. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> no. Well, here's the thing, though. If you want to talk about his entire career as a whole, yes. Because it is the end of him as a successful studio player through which he did You Can't Take It With You and Mr. Smith and shop around the corner and all those movies. And then from there, he segues into his, after the war, he seg- he's transitions more into what he'll be later on. Like with Lou, like what I talked about earlier with Lou Wasserman, when he becomes like an independent actor. And that's when he does all the Hitchcock movies. Like he's not a, co- a studio player when he does that. So th- this is kind of like the climax, like of his career in terms of like, where like it's the peak of like what he start of what he started and it's gonna like it begins like what he finishes up with it's hard for me to say that because i have him as my valley to be honest with you like i think the career that jimmy I have, had i i have that written also jimmy stewart because like because I'm, I'm gonna read you like rope winchester 73 harvey I guess we can talk about the greatest show on earth because the one best picture uh <laughs> rear window Vertigo, The Man Who Knew Too Much, The Spirit of St. Louis, The Anatomy of a Murder, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, How the West Was Won, I mean, The Flight of the Phoenix in 65, I, I, yeah, I don't know, the guy, he's just had such a good, he's had such a good career, I I just think that's the middle point, I I, I think this is the climax of his career. One last peak, one last peak for you, Jack and Luke. Donna Reed. Well, this is the only thing I've Ooh, seen. Um, from here to eternity, though. I know that's the uh, that that's the other. That was five, six, seven years apart, something like that. Forty six and fifty three. Um, yeah, I. She won her Oscar for. I think she won an Oscar for From Here to Eternity, but oh, then then that takes it away then because my my number one rule is but, if but, you but, win but an I, Oscar, that that's your. My, but at the same time, like this is the movie, like like I, th- th- that was kind of why I also wanted to put Jimmy Stewart in Peaks because although all of those movies are good, he is George Bailey and he will always he he will be George Bailey before any of those Hitchcock characters all righty i think that that's kind of my big thing it's a good it's discussion like, to have for sure yeah um, it's like if okay all right luke I what do you i guess person. what do you got luke i guess my 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 one peak that i thought of uh during this now that i understand the the award more is why this movie means so much to me it's the 
movie that had most impact on me and the movie that got me closest to crying. I, I haven't c- cried at a movie yet, so people call me a soulless bastard for that. But That's another that, one. Peak that, happy endings. That's just the way it is, because when I watched this in December 2020, uh, I actually watched it on Christmas Eve because it was locked down and all that shit, so we couldn't really celebrate Christmas, so it was extra uh, emotional. So as I was watching that, I was like really taking it in. At the end of that uh, watch, I realized, yeah, life is, it is a wonderful life, just having life, uh, period. And then, I don't know, it was just like a like an existential thing that I had, much like George Bailey does at the end of the movie. And that's when it really hit hard for me. Every year since, it's hit less because I guess I'm in, in just in a much better place in life. Yeah, December 2020 was like the lowest I've ever felt for many reasons, which I uh, won't get into. But yeah, I guess I can use It's a Wonderful Life as a sort of metric for how good I feel about my own life and i think that's just really cool yeah i i co-sign that i think it's the movie to watch where you're it kind of just brings a good vibe of like even though you cry it's good a vibe of like you know even when there's a lot of negativity going on in this world there's like always a positive side to things and i know we uh, we overlook that sometimes and i always think like it's it's interesting that a movie that's seventy five years old is able to just reinforce the reality of like positivity. And on my third third watch as well, it wasn't a first watch or anything. It was just a. Oh yeah, this movie gets light. this. I agree, Luke. This movie gets better and better every single time I watch it. Like it's it's just perfection. I think it's one of those like we look at movies like yes, some movies in each of our top twenty five or fifty may not be a perfect movie. I do think it's a wonderful life is a perfect movie there's nothing really that i would personally change we could poke fun at like the mr potter and of it all but i think the movie itself i think is perfect the way the way it is um all righty let's finish off with some fun facts about the movie this movie 75 years old so i have 23 things here so i'm gonna try to cut me off jack if you have anything i know you did research for this and luke if you have anything as well uh, number one, as Uncle Billy drunkenly leaves the Bailey mm-hmm. hole, it sounds if he's mm-hmm. it sounds as if he stumbles yeah. into some trash cans on the sidewalk. In fact, the crew member dropped a large tray of props right after Thomas Mitchell went off screen. James Jimmy Stewart began laughing, and Mitchell quickly improvised, "I'm all right, I'm okay." Director Frank Capra decided to use that take in the final cut and gave the stagehand ten dollars for improving the sound of the film. <laughs> Another Uncle Billy W. Uh, <laughs> a rare one. Rare W for Uncle Billy. Uh, this one's cool. Jimmy Stewart. I mentioned before about that kiss, how I laugh at when he kisses Mary for the first time. So Jimmy Stewart was nervous about the phone kiss scene because it was his first on-screen kiss since his return to Hollywood after the war. Frank Capra, uh, Under French Capra's watchful eyes, Stewart filmed the scene in only one unrehearsed take, and it worked so well that the part of the embrace was cut because it was too passionate to pass the censors. So, Something else about the censors I, I wanted to kind of yeah, mention. Go ahead. I'm amazed that... Mr. Potter kind of just gets away with it at the end. Because, like, uh, the Hayes Code would make it be, like... Because the Hayes Code has it to where, like, the bad guys can't, like, win. Or they can't get away with it. But just the way that they were able to kind of get by with that, which is wild, like, 
solely focusing like on the positive ending is do you really th- interesting to me. So I'll ask I'll ask Jack, do you think it's because of the the way George's story ends? Because technically we do I get a happy why, ending. I think if it didn't if it didn't go good for George, that would not have been the case. But because it because they already like saw how it went out, they probably were just like, okay. But yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, just something I thought was really interesting about the Hayes Code and the movie. Um, when filming the scene in which George prays in the bar, Jamie Stewart was so overcome they began to cry. Frank Capra later reframed and blew up the shot because he wanted to catch that expression on Stewart's face. This is why that shot looks so grainy. And for someone that loves 4K, yes, that shot is still grainy yeah. to this day because of the way yeah. that the, the shot was blown up. Uh, I mean, smart move by Capra, but for the quality mm-hmm. of the movie, ugh. Uh, two of the two of the writers called the film horrid and refused to see it when it was released. The only one of Clifford Odette's ideas to appear in the finished script was George preventing Mr. Gower from mistakenly dispensing poison instead of medication. And we didn't talk about Mr. Gower at all, but um, I guess, you know, we jo- I can joke about Mr. Gower, but I, I shout out to Helmer. That, I think that is the most important moment in the movie, per se, in terms mm-hmm. of like George's development and his affection for others in the town. I think that's yes. kind of like the turning point there. Uh, Lionel Barrymore actually convinced Jimmy Stewart to take the role of George Bailey, despite his feeling that he was not up to it so soon after returning from the war. There you go, Mr. Potter W. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Common Mr. Potter W. Common. There you go. Um, despite being set around Christmas, this movie was shot during a heat wave. It got to that's be funny. <laughs> it got to be so hot, Frank Capper gave everyone a day off to recuperate. And why I put Frank Capra as my MVP of outside of, along with Jimmy Stewart is that this is the first and last time that Capra produced, financed, directed, and co-wrote one of his films. Like, mm-hmm. come on, man. The iconic scene where Jimmy Stewart's character runs through the snow sweat Bedford Falls is actually filmed on a July scorching hot day. All right. Luke loves math. I hate math, but I did math. Actually, IMDb did math for me. <laughs> the year during which Potter offers George a $20,000 annual salary is unclear. But, assuming the scene takes place in 1939, $20,000 in 1939 is equivalent to the purchasing power of about $372,000 in 2020. In ni- 1939 was a year of deflation with a rate of negative one42 as the last year of the Great Depression before the start of World War II. The 2019 to 2020 year over inflation rate is now 0.99, which means if we look at that ratio, he would be making, that salary would be over a million dollars. That Mr. Mr. Potter, another W. Mr. Potter, W. <laughs> Come on, Jack. Yeah, he, he, he wants to care for his employees. Yeah, it's not like he just wants to... It's not like he just wants that last thorn out of his butt or anything like that. He just wants to give him money. <laughs> so I was curious if you guys picked this up because I personally didn't. Um, the film has two lines of secret dialogue spoken quietly through a door. Uh, they can be heard when amplifying the volume and are so explicitly depicted in the closed captioning. The lines occur at the end of the scene in Peter Bailey's private office when Bailey, with Bailey and his son George and Potter and his, you know, entourage present 
After George raves on to Potter that you can't say that about my father, he is ushered out of the room by his father. Then George is shown standing outside the office uh, front door. At that moment, George overhears the following two lines of dialogue through the glass. Uh, Potter, what's the answer? Peter Bailey said, Potter, you just humiliated me in front of my son. I got to hear that again. I did, I had never picked that up. I didn't hear that. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and watch. But I, 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 I that makes sense because I do hear like the, the dialogue starts like as they're shutting the doors. So maybe it is there. I just never pay attention to it. The original story passed through several hands before it landing on Capra. One of them included Howard Hughes. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting movie. Uh, one of the original drafts of the script, Mr. Potter actually didn't exist. Do you think this movie works without Mr. Potter? <sighs> to an extent. To, yeah, to an extent, but having there's, like... There's the, like slight nuances having that you the, miss out on. Yeah, not to mention just the complete yang to uh, George's yin just of personalities and what he values, so... I think that's really just what makes this movie great. For sure. Um, in that alternate version, George was shown in a reality where he became a powerful and corrupt politician. The climax of the mm-hmm. film was quite different, where jo- a good George Bailey fought his evil doppelganger, a battle that resulted in the death of the evil George <laughs> Bailey when he was thrown from the bridge. That sounds like a community <laughs> episode, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I'm sure, you know... I believe this is true, but two of Sesame Street's Muppets, Bert and Ernie, <laughs> are yep. share the name. I there's been conflicting reports as to whether or not they're based on Bert and Ernie from It's a Wonderful Life, but I'm going to go along and say that it was. Uh, this goes back to what you said, Jack. FBI agents viewed the film and determined it to be communist propaganda, as the story depicts a capitalist banker as the villain. Uh, further, the FBI claimed in a report that two of its screenwriters, Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett, were very close to known communists and w- on one occasion, the recent past, particularly lived with known communists and were observed eating lunch every day with known communists. The matter was referred to as the House Un-American Activities Committee in an attempt to ban the movie as subversive. The committee took no action and allowed the film to remain screened across the country. And... The whole Dalton Trumbo of it all, he is known as a communist, and there's a, mm-hmm. a biopic regarding that, so just very interesting. Um, Let me see what else I got here. I got a couple more. All right, Mr. Potter, possible people that could have played Mr. Potter. I'm trying to see if there's any of these. Claude Rains was considered for Mr. Potter. Ooh. The Invisible Man himself. I adore Claude Rains, as I said on the Lords of Arabia podcast, but... He played a hell. He he plays a really good like mustache like mustache twisting villain. Yeah. I think I don't think he would play the same kind of Mister Potter. I think he would be a bit too charming <laughs> for I, us to like because Mister Potter like there are points in like the movie like I just get annoyed with Mister Potter. I'm just like f you man, come on. <laughs> um, but like I, everything Claude Rains is a villain. I like him. I don't think this would have worked either. But Vincent Price is also in consideration. <laughs> oh my god um, Lionel Barrymore actually got the role because he was a famous Ebenezer Scrooge in radio dramatizations of A Christmas Carol uh, love this actor he's not my George Bailey Henry Fonda was originally in the running to play George Bailey that, nah. Inter- interesting because I, I mean two actors I think I think they've got similar like and they were very good friends 
yeah, they were best friends. They were roommates for a while. Uh, and Gary Cooper, too, was also considered, I believe. And I mean, great actors all around, but not George Bailey. Yep. Uh, and then Jay- Jamie Stewart repeated his role in a one hour radio version on NBC Radio in 1949, which is pretty oh, wow. cool. And I'd then like the, to hear that. the last two in the original script, Clarence confronts Potter about what he did to George. It was to take place right after Potter yelled and Happy New Year to you in jail. So I, I think it works well. Not having I'm, that I'm glad, scene. I, I'm glad it's I'm glad it's not there. A cool scene. I would love to see Clarence just giving Potter a piece of his mind, but that's yeah. not the focus. And then finally, we almost had another Mary. Jean Arthur was originally Frank Capra's first choice to play Mary, but she had already committed to a Broadway play. Uh, she had already worked with Jimmy and uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington and you can't take it with you. Uh, like Jean Arthur, Donna Reed is just, that's it. There's no one else but Donna yeah. Reed for this movie. S- same thing for the other al- alternates that they considered. Olivia de Havilland was considered, as mm. was Ginger Rogers. Love them oh, both. Ginger. I mean, no, no, Donna Reed's it, but oh, Ginger would have been interesting. Yeah, uh, same for Olivia de Havilland because she also, I think, has a lot of like that warmth that Donna Reed's character does. Uh, one small thing, Dave, I don't think Luke has seen this, but I know you've seen the cartoon. Simon Bar Simon Bar Sinister from Underdog. That <laughs> tell, tell me that's not Mister Potter. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> um, There's so much there. So Luke, Underdog is this animated series from the '60s. That uh, underdog is essentially like it's essentially Superman. That's what essentially what the show is yeah. with a dog, and the I've villain. Seen the movie. No, no, no. Oh, the, the, car- the cartoon. The cartoon. The cartoon. That's where. It's at. <laughs> yeah, don't, that movie's terrible. Uh, actually, no affiliation to the to the cartoon. So yeah, watch watch the the, the cartoon. It's really great. Um, but yeah, that wraps everything up for this week. This is actually went a lot longer than I want than I expected, but I think it was a great conversation. Um, I guess this is the time to announce that we're going to take a few weeks off. Uh, I'm going to take a few weeks off to be a dad. Uh, as Crossing Figures, my little munchkin will be born this week. But when we return in 2023 uh, with the best and worst of 2022, things are going to look a little different. Uh, Hunter will be joining me as my new guest host. And Jack will be coming on much more often. Uh as much as he can, we have a we already met and discussed the topics for next year, which should be a lot of great anniversaries, a lot of good drafts, great breakdowns, and I think Luke's going to be returning too because I think there's some I know stuff one here. Movie uh, I, 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 I already know, I already know which one he's going to be returning for, uh, but I'm sure there's other things that he want to return for. So uh, look forward to big things in the new year. Uh, as always, Jack, thank you for joining us, and Luke, thank you for your first time on here. We had a great time. Uh, before we go, is there anything you want to plug, Jack? Yeah, uh, you can see all of us on the League of Cinephiles on YouTube, as well as our reviews on the Critics Circle. And you can find my individual takes on Letterboxd. And Luke? I just want to mention that something I noticed during the movie. Potter has a portrait of himself in his office. <laughs> delightful. Absolutely delightful. Or at delightful. least I think it's him. It is him. It is. It's absolutely him. Yeah. I need so to, that, I that's we, Mr. Potter in a nutshell. I think we all need to get portraits of ourselves for our, for our bedrooms. Uh, oil paintings and everything. Oil I'm paintings down. and everything, yeah. Um, mm. But yeah, Luke, thanks again for joining us. And you can find me at realtalking.com. You can find my work on 
Real Talk Instagram. You can find my work on Ron Tomatoes, and you can find me on the League of Cinephiles as well as I'm one half with Hunter of the Duos Trivia Champions. So until next year, thanks for the support, and see you at the movies, kids. Mm-hmm.